Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is Christiana Reed, Taylor Thomas, and Jessica Miller. All right, so today we have a special guest, one of our very own, Jessica. She is going to be talking to us about her experience with infertility and IVF, and we are pre-recording this and we'll release it when she has her baby and give her a little time off with her child. So we are also going to be joined at some point by her husband, Elliot, when we start talking about kind of how the infertility experience affected their marriage and relationship. So when you randomly hear a male voice, that's (laughs) Elliot. (laughs) All right, let's jump in. So I guess a question that I have is, what at what point is somebody deemed infertile? And you've been to enough doctors, right, to probably have had mm-hmm. this definition multiple times. Yeah. So infertility is defined by 12 months of trying and being unsuccessful is what it's actually defined as. Okay. And was that your experience? Yeah, we went 24 months. And on the 24 month, we did IVF and got pregnant. Okay. So we did a full two years. So the first year we were trying on our own. I actually had a miscarriage at the very first month we tried. So we got pregnant immediately. I miscarried at five weeks. So it was traumatic, but it wasn't so traumatic because I wasn't attached because it was like just a couple days after I had my pregnancy test. But then we went for another, well, I guess like 11 months Went to the fertility doctor. We did a year of fertility treatments. Mm -hmm. So I've done Fomara, which is the same as Clomid, and regular ultrasounds and timed intercourse cycles and IUIs. And then we went to IUI. Tell us what IUIs are. So an IUI is interuterine insemination, Mm -hmm. which is basically where they put a tube up you and try and get the sperm closed closer to where the egg is okay so it's like just if you have like blockages or things like that it's just more likely that the sperm will get to the egg yeah and so we did that twice I think most people do that several times but we kind of were running out of time with our insurance and so we just wanted to jump to IVF so that's probably the sequence that happens for most people, right? It's like the 12 months of trying and then they'll put you on a medication like Famara or what's the one? Clomid. That, Clomid, yeah. Famara or Clomid that will um, make you ovulate, right? If you're mm-hmm. not ovulating. Then if that doesn't mm-hmm. work, then they go to IUIs. And if that doesn't work based on however long you and your specialist decide to do that for, that's when you start looking at IVF. IVF. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The big thing that most people don't 
do fertility treatments is, first of all, you have to accept that you're infertile, which is really hard for a lot of people. Yeah. And then second, you have to pay a lot of money. And so it is expensive. We met our deductible two years in a row and everything else was covered, which was really nice because our bill for the transfer of embryos was $12,000, I think. But we didn't pay that much because of insurance. But that's how much it would have been just for the transfer of the embryos, not for IVF. What is IVF? IVF stands for in vitro fertilization, which is actually the process of pulling your eggs from your body and putting the sperm with the eggs outside of your body and letting it grow. And then it actually is a different thing. It's called a fresh or frozen embryo transfer when you put it back into your body. But people generally just call IVF that whole process. Mm -hmm. But IVF is technically putting sperm and egg together outside of your body. Okay. Wow. Okay. And so... That's intense. That sounds very intense. A lot more intense than getting pregnant. The organic way. It is a lot more (laughs) intense than that, yes. Yeah, so I don't I think people don't realize when they when you say like I did IVF, they think like, okay, that's super cool. Like um a lot of people call them test tube babies. Like it was created outside of you and then they put it back into you. And so cost aside, it just is a huge process. So it starts we started the process in February and then we were pregnant by May. So that's already like three months worth of stuff. And so the first month, what you do is you get your calendar, which is like the best, most happy moment for someone who's doing IVF. Because it's like, oh, we're starting. This is awesome. We ordered our meds and we got this huge box, like a big box that was full of medications. And I was in awe. I was like, all of this stuff is going in my body. It's unreal. (laughs) And so we got this huge box full of medication. You have to sort through it all. And then you start doing ultrasounds pretty much almost weekly. At the end, you're going in every day to see how many eggs are maturing and stuff. I was taking five pills a night, two pills in the morning, and then doing three shots in the morning every day. And then they go in and they do the egg retrieval, which is a surgery. They put you under. I was so loopy and weird. I loved it, though. I mean, I like that feeling. (laughs) But I was like, had my hand on my belly, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm just, like, comforting my eggs. And then, like, literally, that's what my brain was thinking as I'm going under the anesthesia. And the anesthesiologist moved my hand, and I was like, oh, my gosh, the eggs are going to feel so lonely. He's like, like, obviously, that was a little irrational. (laughs) But so they... They go in there, you know, they put a needle through your uterus up to your ovaries and suck out all of the eggs on both sides. And then you come out of it and then you have like a week recovery where you have to like be very careful not to do a lot of stuff because otherwise your ovaries can freak out and start getting really swollen and stuff, which I didn't have happen, thank heavens, but So then you get a break, they pull the eggs out of you and a break is like in quotes because then you have to wait 
every few days you get updates on your eggs and how they're doing. Like, are they still alive? Did they form into embryos? And so we had the anxiety waiting for the information was horrible. Yeah. And so we were, we actually went to Disneyland, had my eggs pulled out of my body on Monday on Saturday and Sunday and Monday, I think we went to Disneyland. And so I got those calls at Disneyland. So I can tell you exactly. We were walking out of soaring over California and I got a voicemail and they told us how many eggs had become embryos, which was 19. And then the next day we were in line for Buzz Lightyear and I got the call that only 14 were still alive. And so it's like crazy how it's like so in, in your brain because it's such a huge deal. Like, okay, we're losing eggs. Okay, but it's okay. It's fine. We still have some, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stress there. So then eventually they get to the point where they freeze them. And then for us, they did the genetic testing. So then we had to wait another week for more genetic testing. And then they said, sweet, you have two that are good to go. So then we started the process for implanting them. So with implanting, you basically just have to get your uterus ready, but you have to use shots and pills because your body isn't doing what it's supposed to on its own because we're going to force implantation, right? So I took lots of estrogen and then progesterone and oil, which is a beast of a shot. So most of the shots through the IVF process, right? So the preparing the eggs to come out of your body, that go in your stomach. They all go in your stomach. They're tiny. They burn a little bit, but it was like super easy. You just stick it in there. It burns for a second and then it's done. The progesterone is like thick and it goes in like your upper hip butt area I don't really know it's like hard to get to I could not in my current pregnant state I could not reach it right now (laughs) and so you literally just like it takes probably 30 seconds for like Elliot to push all the progesterone in there (laughs) it hurts somewhat it's not excruciating at all but it's painful and you have to do that every day For 10 weeks if you get pregnant, which we did. So we did it every day for 10 weeks. And you have to do these things like you have to do them at the same time every day. So like that was stressful because I went to New York and I had to give myself a shot at the same time that I would have in Utah. So the time change was different. And one of them I had to I gave myself a shot in an airplane bathroom because I was in on an airplane when I needed to give myself the shot and so I'm like okay just going to the airplane bathroom and you can imagine like trying to twist your body around to see your hip in that tiny space and then have this huge needle I mean it's like a long needle it's a little bit intimidating and be like okay now I'm just gonna stab myself with this and then it's gonna take me 30 seconds to like get all of the medication in there Mm -hmm. it was just like awful and so those were some of our good moments you know (laughs) but there's a lot of things like that where it's like oh my gosh you just don't think about the small like inconveniences I guess that it was to our life because in other ways it was just like oh we live a normal life 
But then also I have to wake up at six in the morning every day to give myself a shot, which sucks. Yeah. So we did that for 10 weeks and then you're just a normal person. But what they don't tell you is that if you're going to be nauseous, there's four weeks of being nauseous and having to give yourself shot, which led to a lot more vomiting for me, if that makes sense, because I'd have to wake up, get a shot, and then it was like I would have to immediately throw up right after because it was like, I can't move. I shouldn't have been moving. I shouldn't be waking up at that time and stuff like that. So there's just so many like weird inconveniences. And then you do, you know, you have your shots to like prepare the uterus and then you go in and that was like the coolest thing about IVF is for me getting to know the gender from before the baby was in my body was Mm -hmm. really awesome because you just feel so much more connected when you know the gender. For me, it was like I looked at a picture and I was like, oh, I just love this little cell so much because it's literally like I think she was like 32 cells at that point or something. It's crazy. When you go in and you implant the embryo, you are awake for that, which is an awesome experience. But they come in and they like show you on a screen your uterus and and you can see the moment like she put the baby in like you could see it. And for me, that was like so incredible. And so that was cool because it was like, oh, she's in there now. And then you just go home and you do nothing for a few days so that she can just implant And it was like weird stuff where you're just like sitting there and then you're like, oh, I could be pregnant now or I could not, but I could be, but I could not, you know, (laughs) and it was weird. And then you have to wait two weeks and you get a blood test that tells you your numbers, your HS, your HCG numbers. And I had really strong numbers from the start, which was a huge help. Yeah. Because a lot of people get low numbers and then you have to get retested and that's a little bit more stressful. So I had high numbers from the start and they got really high really quick. And so I felt confident, not confident in like, I feel like this baby's going to last, but confident in that when I said this baby's not going to last, Elliot could be like, you have good numbers, <laughs> you know, right? Yes, someone yes, else I had do. to remind me. <laughs> Because I was not good at remembering. And then I had to remind myself over and over again, she's genetically normal. So now that she's implanted, there's no reason why she won't grow full term because she's genetically normal. And it sounds like you're still saying that to yourself. Yes, I still am for sure. I'm, I'm to the point where I'm like, I feel like it's safer for her to be outside my body so I can see what she's doing. So let's get her out of there. And she's developed. She's ready. Yeah, she is (laughs) fully. Full term. Yes. So I'm like, let's just take her out there. Yeah, but she'll come when she's ready, which is also hard trusting in the process. I'm like, there were so many things I had to control. So I have to control this too, but you don't really have to. Yeah. And then what? another thing that's nice is you get ultrasounds early. And so you get to see them when they're like the size of a grain of rice was the first Mm -hmm. one. And then the second one is there's the size of a gummy bear. They're so cute. cute. (laughs) It's like just like a little gummy bear wiggling on the screen. And you're like. Oh my gosh, it has taken me so many years. But like I'm a like, gummy bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This is so much work. It's crazy. <laughs> but it was really cool. And then you just graduate at nine weeks, you graduate from the fertility clinic and you just go to a normal doctor and then you're a normal person. Oh. And then you're, I'm like, I want to tell everyone that I'm not a normal person and I worked really hard for this baby. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so that was, I told like all the doctors, they're like, oh, yeah, so your baby and I'm like, it's a girl. She's a girl. I know like, this. 
how do you know? And I'm like, because I did IVF. I just want you to, you know. I did that. We chose for it to be a girl, even though we didn't really, because we just put in the best quality embryo and it happened to be a girl. But, but there was a choice there. <laughs> yes, but we could have put in the boy, you know, or we could have done both or we could have, you know. Oh, God. And so that's the big thing that's like super annoying about me still is when people are like, oh, what are you having? And I'll be like, oh, it's a girl. But we knew before we implanted her because we did IVF because it's important to me that people like know. Yeah. I don't know why it's so important other than because you worked so hard because yeah, like, it is. It's like this thing where I'm like, I went through so much to yeah. get this baby. But then also there's this level of wanting anyone who is struggling to know mm-hmm. that I did IVF. To yeah. open like that I would love. Yeah. I would love to just have a sign always that is like, this is an IVF baby. Ask me anything, you know, <laughs> but there you go. There's the whole process. Oh, so we've learned it is not for the faint hearted. That is for sure. What do you think your total cost of this has all been for you? Like if insurance hadn't paid for it, what do you think your cost would have been? For all of the treatments that we did for the whole year, I mean, easily like $20,000 between medications and doctor's visits and ultrasounds everything wow. like that because if you do like when we did Famara, we were doing three ultrasounds per cycle mm-hmm. and that's like six hundred dollars if you're paying for it yourself plus then we you give us yourself a shot which is like a two hundred dollar shot and you know and then you have progesterone and you have to pay for the progesterone and so there oh, is so much so even like a simple cycle can turn out to be really expensive. Mm-hmm. And so luckily for us, our insurance covered it. So we were able to do like all of those ultrasounds and stuff. It didn't help us. We never got pregnant, but mm-hmm. it was nice versus most people just take the pills and then hope that it makes them ovulate. My mm-hmm. problem was not, not yeah. ovulating. Yeah, what was what was your and this is even if you know because I know sometimes they're like we don't really know what's going on is just not working which is frustrating but like what 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 did the specialists say for you and Elliot? Yeah, so we have no problems with anything <laughs> that anyone has ever found. We did. There's lots of testing. So when you first go to the fertility doctor, they test all of your hormones. They do what's called an HSG, which is a long word, which I cannot pronounce, but they basically put fluid into your uterus and it goes through your fallopian tubes and clears it out. It's Mm -hmm. super painful. And we did that. We had Elliot tested. He's normal. I'm normal. I ovulate every month pretty consistently. Everything was fine. But when we did IVF, there's another level of assessment that can only be done once you remove the eggs from your body. And that is to look at how quality your eggs are. And I have poor quality eggs. Okay. So we, when we did IVF, you take all these meds to make your body grow as many eggs as possible. And I grew 26 eggs and they took 26 eggs out of my body. And since I was very paranoid about having another miscarriage, we paid out of pocket to have our eggs genetically tested, which I think was the biggest thing that we did to help ourselves succeed in IVF. So we ended up with two that were genetically normal. One is a female and she was high quality and that's 
what we implanted and who is growing right now. And then we have a lesser quality, but still genetically normal male. Mm -hmm. And then the other three were all females, but they were genetically abnormal as were all the other ones that had already died off. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's 23, 24 eggs that were genetically abnormal, which isn't what you would expect. With all of that, have you felt like you've been kind of holding your breath during your pregnancy, like since you have miscarried before or that you know it can happen even when you do IVF? Or do you feel like you've been able to just kind of relax into it? No, I have not relaxed at all. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm way more relaxed than I was during the infertility process. I would say my stress was like consistently between a seven and 10 all through the infertility process because you have to monitor everything that happens in your body all day, every day. And it's so much stress. But after that, when we actually got pregnant, I was very stressed for the first few, probably like the first month until I started vomiting. And then I felt okay. Isn't that because so funny like, that you feel yeah. <laughs> better emotionally when you're like puking yeah. your guts out? Yeah. Until the vomiting lasted for 25 weeks and then I didn't feel emotionally great about it. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, because then I had like proof in my body like, oh, she's still there and I wasn't bleeding. If I had, I did bleed the night before my positive pregnancy test and I lost it hardcore. Oh, and so when the, when the lady was like, it's positive, I was like, no, it's not. I'm going to lose no. the baby, you know? And so, and me and my mom went to New York the next day and I was still giving myself progesterone shots. And so I was like a disaster that whole time. Mm. I was so stressed out. Because we had to ship my progesterone to New York, and it wasn't getting there. And you can't oh miss a shot. <laughs> no, because if you miss a shot, you will miscarry because your body is not producing its own hormones, mm-hmm. and wow. so it was a big deal. I wow. mean, you might be able to miss one shot, but I was not about to risk that. That's for sure. Yeah. After all that time and energy, yeah. It's so interesting with pregnancy because they say the best thing that you can do yourself or the best favor you can do yourself for pregnancy is to relax and don't stress. And you're no, like just no, you cannot not stress, especially when you're in a situation like yours where, like you said, you have to literally monitor every single change in your body and monitor everything to catch anything from going wrong. So when you're being that self-aware of your body, you're just going to be stressed. You will, no matter what. There's so much stress, yeah. I'm in, like, a couple of infertility groups on Facebook, and everyone is just stressed. It just is what it is because you can't help it. And, yeah, like, obviously, I was – I'm a therapist. I did a ton to try and calm down and not control everything, but it didn't matter. You just automatically do it. How did you practice self-love or – you know, just rely on yourself emotionally during that time, even though you were at that high, high level of stress? So the biggest thing I did was I went to therapy. Yeah. So I had a therapist and we did EMDR because that's what I knew would work. So we started EMDR with my 
the trauma of the miscarriage and then went from there. And there was a lot of crying and a lot of working through the belief of like, because most people who are infertile have the belief on some level of it's my fault, even though, you know, logically it's not your fault, but it also feels like it's your fault. Like, I went through phases where it's like, well, if I had tried to get pregnant earlier, I would be pregnant. If I had, if I exercised more, I'd be pregnant. If I hadn't eaten that one thing that one day, I'd be pregnant. All of this stuff, so many things. And so I had to let go of all of that. And really, I could only do that through therapy because everyone else could tell you. But everyone else is also telling you all this stupid stuff like, if you just relax, you'll get pregnant or Mm -hmm. I just know that it's your stress. And I'm like, yeah, but also people who are refugees get pregnant and they're under way more stress than I am, you know? And so that's not it. I mean, everything is a combo for sure. Obviously being relaxed is going to help because your body's so sensitive. And so there's all these things that people also want to blame it on you, which I love. Brene Brown talks about this, like, when people judge, it's because they are just trying to make sure that it doesn't happen to them. But it's like, don't place those judgments on me mm-hmm. because they're just not true, you know? Yeah. So I had to, yeah, I did therapy. I did tons of, I exercised a lot because I knew that that would help. We did a lot of trips and I would always, people would be like, oh, you're so lucky to go to Ireland and Scotland. And I'd be like, yeah, but I'd rather be having a baby, you know. But I didn't ever say that. I would just be like, yeah, we're so blessed because we don't have children. And I'd be snarky (laughs) about it. But really, in my mind, I was like, this is 100% like a trip that's like, well, we're not pregnant. So where do we want to go now? It's like a consolation trip. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So would that be like your PSA? announcement to all people who are that know somebody that's struggling with infertility or that's struggling themselves like what would you say to them I would say talk to them about it because they will let you know what they want to talk about and what they don't but don't try to fix it just listen and realize that it's going to be hard for them no matter what. And if you are pregnant, then like tread lightly because that also was obviously a big trigger. And never, ever tell someone who's infertile how long it took you to get pregnant. But I had the big thing on my phone that said pregnancy is just a thing. Like it didn't make anyone better or worse than me. And I had to constantly remind myself of that because you watch people having babies and getting to raise them and all this stuff. And that is such a huge worthy goal in life as an attachment therapist. I love that, but it was hard for me to be like, well, they must be better because they get to do this, but it's just a thing. Pregnancy is just a thing that your body does. And sometimes your body is broken and you need science to help it along. And sometimes science can't help it along. And then you have options like foster care and adoption, surrogacy, There's all kinds of different things. And Mm -hmm. so I just had to remember over and over again, it's just a thing. It'll work out eventually, but it's okay that it sucks in the meantime. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And is there anything else that you did to keep yourself from kind of falling into being bitter or jaded? I mean, how can you not to some extent, but were there other things that you kind of did or 
things you practiced that kept you kind of grounded? So I really got into minimalism and I read several books about that and bringing my life into like the bare necessities and bare minimum of everything helped a lot to just focus on what was actually there and important rather than focusing on everything I didn't have. Because I think when we have this idea of stuff and things make us happy, it becomes having a child is another thing that will make me happy. And I had to dig down into the root and realize that nothing can make you happy unless you are happy internally and okay with where you're at. And I knew, like, as soon as I'm pregnant, that's not going to make me happy. I need to fix it before I get there, Mm -hmm. which is why I was in therapy and doing that work before. Because like I said, when I finally did get pregnant, that wasn't like, okay, I'm done. I'm happy. (laughs) Like, it still has been, I have normal mood swings and I'm happy and sad and everything. But I'm happier because I worked on stuff while I was infertile. Mm -hmm. And something else cool that I've seen you do is just take breaks from social media, like recognizing that Mm -hmm. there's some triggers there that you don't need to subject yourself to. Yeah. So I deleted social media after one of my friends had a baby because I knew that I would just be constantly seeing Instagram stories and posts about their new baby, which is totally appropriate. Don't avoid that for any reason. But I knew that I couldn't live while seeing that and feel comfortable. Whereas if I were to see this friend and baby in real life, I would feel totally happy for them because I could like connect with her through that. But on social media, it's just like it was rubbing it in my face. So I deleted Instagram, Facebook. I kept Twitter because no one talks about having babies on Twitter. And I created a infertility social media account that I only invited people who I had been talking to in real life about my infertility struggles. So I knew that if I like saw them, they would feel comfortable like bringing up my latest Instagram post, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then I used it as a way to just update people on what was happening as we did IVF and then the frozen embryo transfer. But then as soon as I got pregnant, I was so sick. I haven't like posted on it hardly at all since then. And so I just am off social media in mm-hmm. general right now. And I haven't been able to go back. I've had like moments where I've like downloaded it to like test and I still am like, oh, but then that person is pregnant and it was so easy for them. And you just find yourself thinking all these things that you don't even know that are true. And so I just avoid. It's not good for me. I think that self-awareness is awesome. So I just want to know about your marriage experience through this entire journey because I know that infertility experiences are really difficult for obviously the woman but also for the husband as well in this and it can really bring people together or it can pull people apart so what did you and Elliot do to try your best to stay connected well honestly that was a little difficult for me <laughs> Way hard. yeah because it it affected us very differently and Honestly, it affected Jessica way more than it affected me. And because of that, I did not react probably enough to feel connected through most of that time. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of led to 
disconnections, breakdowns, and some unhappy moments. Yeah. Of, yeah. We, I mean, I had like probably two or three like massive breakdowns. Right. Where I recognize that I'm not doing enough to, to be involved in this, I guess. In my mind, it, it was more like, this is going to work out. But in Jessica's mind, this is not going to work out, or this is not working out. And so... Yeah. Or I have to control everything for it to work out. And he couldn't help with any of that. And that's usually what the breakdown centered around, was like, I have to carry the whole burden by myself because he couldn't do anything. Yeah. So there was a lot of listening from my side. Yeah, which was And nice. what... I started doing more and should have done even more of was being more proactive in being involved, even though it wasn't so much my body or my dilemma that I was dealing with daily. I should have been more researching things, calling people, um, figuring out things and discussing it proactively with Jessica a little more. Uh I think that would have helped a lot more. That's something I learned a lot later in the the issue probably could still learn a lot more of now but i i think that that would have helped a lot more in us staying connected throughout that time mm-hmm. yeah yeah and really once we did ivf once we started the ivf process it was easier to let elliot be involved because you have to give yourself injections and so once he was doing that for me it was a lot easier for me to see his involvement in the process. And he was doing something that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to give myself shots. Uh And so that was a lot easier. But before that, it was like he couldn't track my ovulation because he had no idea what I was feeling, you know, yeah, and stuff like that. So it was like frustrating because it was all on me. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, well, do you even care? Mm -hmm. It was like he did care, but how was I supposed to know? Cause he couldn't show me in any way. Cause he couldn't track it and he couldn't be aware. Yeah. Pregnancy so, is a very lopsided thing. It yeah. really yeah. is. Logan yeah. always talks about how pathetic he feels like his contribution is actually when you look at like the grand scheme of things. It's pretty much nothing. Which is <laughs> really, crazy. Ellie, what was it like for you emotionally? Because I mean, we, we've been able to talk to Jessica and really kind of dig deep into her emotions and feel like what that experience was like for her. But from a male perspective, what was this like for you? Um, there were some things that would affect me a little more, especially after seeing Jessica's frustration with other people's insincere comments or questions about pregnancy when they didn't really, maybe they didn't know about infertility or they did and they didn't know what to say. And as I see how that affected Jessica, then I would start getting more angry with people being insincere or just dumb about the things that they would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of it is just, they don't know what to say, but people making comments, I'm like, Oh, that's going to throw Jessica off for the next couple of hours. Thank you very much for being so thoughtless about that. Yeah. I was like, we couldn't go to a friend's house without someone saying something. And I just look at Elliot and he like knows that I'm like, this is the worst. And they had, so emotional, I guess, I don't know if this is the, the best answer I could be giving, but to to see people saying that kind of stuff that ended up affecting me emotionally because that I would notice that all day myself, even if Jessica wasn't there. 
and then just recognizing, yeah, well, we're having issues. Does anyone else have issues? Because no one wants to talk about it because it's largely not a safe place to talk about in public because people end up hurting your feelings mm-hmm. Mo- most often, you know, unintentionally, but it's not a safe place. Yeah. So what would you guys kind of do to reconnect after something like that or support each other? Well, what did we do? We traveled. Uh, we'd go traveling and we'd come home and just not connect with other people. Just yes. stay to ourselves for yeah. a little while until time kind of healed that or it. we were able to forget it. Yeah, Elliot was definitely like the safest person for me to be with through the whole process. And so, yeah, we would just like come home and I could just vent forever. And Elliot would agree with me, which was nice. (laughs) That is like the one thing that is nice about infertility is we had an extra two years just as Mm -hmm. a couple as ourselves. In that way, we're way more connected and we worked through a lot more issues in those two years than we would have in any other two years that weren't linked to infertility, I guess. But it was still hard to find ways to be like, we're so happy and we're doing fun stuff. But um, except for traveling, that was like a big thing that we would Mm do. Yeah, and I guess another thing for me is I think I had a little more confidence that things would work out. He had a lot more confidence. (laughs) (laughs) He still has a lot. I still am like, well, I guess we'll release this if the child's alive is how I still feel. Which oh. I guess is is good for me, but it makes it difficult to, to connect when we have differences of opinions there. But as time was going on and we were going through certain steps in infertility, it's like, okay, try this method or this technique, uh, take these shots and say, okay, that didn't work. This didn't work. And as you kind of keep going up the ladder of things to try, eventually you get to the top and that's pretty much IVF. Mm-hmm. And once we got there, it was like, okay, this this is it. If this doesn't work, then I'll probably start freaking out because like <laughs> yeah, maybe out of options. Yeah, the options are disappearing, and we just keep doing this one really expensive thing over and over. And then it kind of started to hit me a little bit like this. Maybe this isn't going to work. You, you're kind of being a little more vulnerable when you do that step because it is the last option. And if it doesn't work, you're kind of admitting that. Maybe it's not going to work at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think I had a lot of confidence. And then when we got to IVF, I started to have a little more question, a few more questions to myself. I'm really glad it did work out, but I could start feeling that, that um, I could see that edge of the cliff. Like maybe it's not going to work. Yeah. I was probably like had thrown myself off the cliff and was living in the bottom of the river because I felt so hopeless whereas Elliot was still just like yeah we'll just keep going keep doing it what do we do now and so yeah, I don't know if my hope was a benefit to Jessica or if it just made her more frustrated and she'd have to it just that. like I think it depends on where I was at yeah because in general I think that it is like when one partner is weak the other partner has to be strong but then there would be times when I'd break down and just like I feel all alone because I'm the only one who is feeling so hopeless I yeah I also feel like it's more important that he was hopeful and still like willing to work and move forward and remind myself like remind me that it was it wasn't over yet like 
we still have things to do. We can still do this and this and this and this and all that kind of thing. So what do you think is the biggest thing you learned as a couple through it all? Like you talked about how, you know, those two years of kind of going through this together have really benefited you and made you stronger. So what do you think is going to be the thing that you really take from it moving on into being parents? We can do hard things. Yeah, and I think this has already made me feel so much more appreciative for a child than I probably would have otherwise. Yeah. I mean, when I think about having a kid, I'm like, there's a possibility maybe we weren't going to ever have this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm just so happy that it is possible. And so a lot of people get a lot of comments just like, oh, like, just kind of slamming the idea of having a kid like, Oh, it's going to be so much work. Oh, yes, girls, yeah. girls, girls are crazy. Or like you just things like that. Do it. You're going to need so much help that those thoughts have not even crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Because the first thing that crosses my mind is I'm just grateful that we have a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally like we're just going to be so enthusiastic to have her cry and be like, Oh, that child is crying for us. she wants us yeah it's gonna be like the best feeling ever and Mm -hmm. and then after that not being parents so much but i think having gone through that especially for jessica she's able to connect with people that go through that now because i think a lot of women that go through that feel lost and alone Mm -hmm. and jessica's always going to be someone for the rest of her life that people can talk to about it because at least to some level because she's gone through that for a couple of years and understands that a little better yeah it does it just gives you a lot of empathy for people and what they're going through and realizing that you don't understand what they're going through which is why i deleted social media it was because i was having thoughts like well i'm assuming this is their life and i didn't know that so it was like just delete it because all of the assumptions i was making could have been so untrue but they were making me think hurtful things towards someone and i'm like people don't need that yeah. In their life. Like even the stranger looking at your Instagram and being jealous of you is like people don't need that. Mm-hmm. So I just pulled back. Well, thank you, Jessica, for being so open and Elliot too about the process. That's amazing that you guys have been through all of that and I'm so excited to meet your child. I know, me too. It's gonna be great. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us. Bloopers. Bloopers. Just imagine me laying in a hospital room giving birth because that's probably what I'm doing. Just imagine. about that visual. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. (laughs) It was like, oh my gosh, I just saw myself get pregnant, which no one, I mean, I guess technically you can see yourself get pregnant, but not like that, you know?